when he came to know Jesus, when he had this incredible experience as he was going to a town, the reason he was going to town is because he had just come from a high priest where he said, priest, here's what I want to do. I want to go to this town, and anybody I see that's a Christian, let's either put him in jail or have him killed, or let's put him in jail and then have him killed. And he was going to persecute Jesus. has this unbelievable revelatory experience where he meets Jesus, and his life has changed. And he becomes... One of the biggest advocates, if not the biggest advocate, for the death and the resurrection of Jesus that the early church and even the church to this day may ever see. And so Paul would go from city to city, kind of all around the Mediterranean rim, telling people about Jesus. Telling people about Jesus. This guy died. This guy resurrected. That, that most of religion is kind of this vague, what if, difficult to see, difficult to prove. But Paul would say, God has done something in our midst. And he's resurrected his son, Jesus. And as he would go tell the story, churches would pop up. And as churches would pop up, he would appoint leaders. He would appoint pastors. He would train people. Sometimes he'd be there for a week. Sometimes he'd be there for two weeks. Sometimes he'd be there for two years. But Paul would go, 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 go. And as he went, he would either write a letter to precede his visit or write a letter to follow up on his visit. Now, Paul, at this point in his life, it's critical information, Paul is in a Roman jail. So as Paul's writing this, he's writing this in a jail in Rome, having been persecuted for his faith, and eventually will lead to his death. So he writes this book to the Philippians, to the church at Philippi. And as he pins it, he pins some of the more challenging words in Scripture. Now let me just kind of give you a heads up for what we're going to read today. These verses in chapter 2, especially when it goes kind of from verse 3 on. These verses aren't just like, you know, pastor talk, it was a good verse, all oh, that was, you know, significant. These verses were so trans, trans, transitional. That's not the word I'm looking for, but it kind of skips my mind right now. These verses were so helpful, we'll just say, in my life, that for me, they are quite honestly the reason that we have a church today. You see, for most of my life, I grew up thinking the essence of my Christianity was that I would believe in Jesus, I would try to be a good person, I would, you know, I mean, you're, you're in high school, and, 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 and this is kind of what it meant to be a Christian. It's like, if you're, not a, if you're a Christian, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't cuss, or at least you try not to, or at least you don't admit to everybody else that you do, and so you just kind of go on your little morality path, and then from time to time, you try to invite somebody to church, and that's kind of what being a Christian was. And what Paul is about to launch into in chapter 2, verse 3, is he's about to essentially say, hey, your obedience to God, your obedience to God is displayed through your service to other people. Your obedience to your heavenly father, your obedience to your heavenly father is displayed in the way that you love the people, your neighbor of this world. As you humble yourself and serve. So Paul, this is what he says, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, kind of interesting part right there where he talks about, hey, basically, number one, let, let, let's just all get on the same page. You might have a different belief. You might have a different belief. You know, I might have different, like, theological framework belief. You know, what's second tier and third tier and all that kind of stuff in a theological triage. Let me, let me just tell you. What's critical here? 
is that we all have been encouraged by Christ. We all have bought into Christ. All chapter one is Paul basically saying, man, I am all in for Jesus. The whole nutshell of last week's sermon was real simple. That we, we have the invitation to be all in for God because Jesus was first all in for us. That our decision to completely live for Jesus is simply a response to Jesus's or God's decision to go all in for us when he sent his son to die for us. Not because we were willing, not because we were good enough, but just because he decided he wanted to. And in response, we give our lives back to him. So Paul says, okay, so if you have any encouragement for that, come on, let's, let's get on the same page here. Now chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, so do nothing. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Now, this, if we're being honest, this, this, this verse is so easy just to pass over. This verse is so easy to say, okay, you know, you, you know help other people. Paul's like, no, no, no. If you're a Christian... If you consider yourself a Christ follower, if you consider yourself someone who you have your faith, your hope, and trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then let me just tell you something about you. You should do nothing. Nothing meaning nothing out of selfish ambition. You should do nothing out of vain conceit. (laughs) In fact, everything you should do, you should consider others better than yourself. Let me just ask this question. What would a day be like in your life? What would a day be like in our world where you literally did nothing for yourself? Where everything you did was for other people? What if you were so deeply impacted by a God who loved you, who gave everything for you, The overflow of that was you just having a desperate and a dynamic love for the people around you. So Paul says there's a new system that's going to work out. There's a new system that that, that happens here. And here's how this system works. That you love God and how your love for God manifests itself is in your love for other people. And so here's how it looks practically. You, as Christians, do nothing out of selfish ambition, nothing out of vacancy, but in humility consider everybody else better than yourself. Just how this ought to act and interact when it comes to church world, this ought to be a really kind of awkward place. Let me just put that out there. Not like an awkward nobody has social skills. More so an awkward where like everybody should be putting the other person above the other person. So like you're like walking in the door. There should be like a traffic jam at the door. Everybody's like, no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And everybody's like, somebody freaking go first, all right? We don't care. We get you love Jesus. Yes, you do. We let you go. You know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Hey, somebody just walk in the stinking door. No, you, you know, no, you get the coffee first. No, you get the coffee first. Oh, this is the last thing. Ice coffee. No, you take it. No, you it's like somebody just drink the thinking coffee you know that should be the thing now if you're if you're here and you're kind of new to the church world this place should be just kind of weird for you because it's like man everybody is just so indecisive you know not that you really would be indecisive but just man everybody keeps putting themselves above the other person what i thought was funny is you know oftentimes pastors use like the example like so if we really cared about other people you know everybody would park in the back of the parking lot nobody would park in the front and i'm sitting there watching like nobody's parking in the front of our parking lot and i'm like that's not, I don't think it's because we're that spiritual. I think because nobody wants to be that person that parks up front. So everybody just parks. We go like to the moon and back before we park anywhere close. Not because we're spiritual, just because, well, maybe because we're spiritual. I don't really know. Maybe it's just an odd social dynamic that we have going on in our church. But nobody parks right there. It's the weirdest thing. 
But that's how, honestly, that's how it ought to be. That when you walk into the room, whether your room is at your house, whether your room is at your job, whether your room is at school, your mindset, honestly, ought to be, there is no one on this earth. There is no one in this room who is below me. In fact, everybody is above me. And this ought to be the thing that earmarks Christianity. Is that you would consider everybody better than yourself. Now, let me just say, that's different. That's different. We live in a world, honestly, we live in a church culture that says your morality earmarks your Christianity and your display of your morality proves your Christianity. And Jesus would say, no, 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 no. We're all sinful. We're all messed up people. I have called you to holiness. But the way that you're gonna, they're going to know that you're my disciples, it's by the way that you love one another. Paul would go on and he'd kind of tease us out a little more. He said, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And in case you're wondering where this whole idea came from, it came from Jesus who says, verse 5, Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Some translations say, and have the very same mindset of Christ Jesus, who, and this is interesting, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now let me play that out a little bit and tell you kind of what he's saying in that, because that's an interesting statement in and of itself. Essentially what he's saying is that he didn't, God, God could have done anything. God could have, you know, showed up, but what God decided to do was not use the God card. And another way to, like, read this verse is to say that he did not consider God or his godness something to be leveraged. In other words, God could have came any way he wanted to. God could have done any stinking thing that he wanted to to prove that he was God. He could have, he could have uh, said this in the 11 o'clock service, and it's an interesting little thing, but what would you do? What would you do if you were God and you were about to show up in humanity? You weren't like, you know, another religion where we're going to send a prophet, we're going to send, you know, this guy, this person. They're going to be enlightened. They're going to be special. They're going to have these, you know, kind of interesting insights. No, I, God, am going to come myself to the earth, to the world, and I want everybody to know that I'm here. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I would have, like, done something just unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'd have had, like, a posse of angels with me. You know what I mean? I would have, like, ridden in, ridden in, ridden, ridden, depends on where you're from, you know? I would have, like, ridden in on a moon, you know what I'm saying? Just, like, lasso the moon, like, kick a comet on the way in and just, like, show up on us, like, ta-da, you know? I'm here, I'm God, worship me, love me, people. You know what I mean? That's, 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 that's how it would have been. That was... Anyways, there's, there's, a, there's a whole lot of thoughts that I have about how I would show up. But I don't know how I would have shown up, or that's probably how I would have shown up. I don't know how you would have showed up. But what God decided to do, what's so interesting about him, is he could have showed up any way to prove who he was. But instead of doing it any way, he decided not to leverage the fact that he was God. He decided not to pull the God card when he could have and would have been justified. Let me pause and tell you, this is what I love about our God. That not only did he come to the earth... Not only did he die as a propitiation for our sins, not only did he show up in marked history, 
But he said, before I set this new agreement, before I set this new agreement between how we're going to interact and interface with each other, that has nothing to do, by the way, with how you behave, well, it has nothing to do with who you are. It's simply the acknowledgement that you are a sinner, that you have a need for a Savior, that you have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. But you know what? I'm not going to count your sinfulness against you. In fact, I'm going to see your sinfulness, and I'm going to divinely intervene and pay the price that you couldn't pay. When I sin, God would say, my son, your Savior, to die for your sins. But before he did that, He came to the earth. And before he said this is the new agreement, he showed us what that life would look like, lived out. And so this is what he did. He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant Being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. The way this humility, by the way, played out was through obedience. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The reason that Jesus came was to die on a cross. The reason God sent his son was to give us eternal life. But the reality is, God could have done that any way he wanted to. He could have done it any way he wanted to. He could have just showed up. He didn't, think about this, there was no reason that God had to come in the form of a baby. There was no reason that God had to come in the form of this innocent little kid who couldn't even take care of himself. There was no reason that God needed to come in the form of a servant. There was no reason that God needed to be a homeless dude walking around on the earth. There was no reason that God needed to spend years of his life just walking around serving people, loving people, healing people, touching people, teaching people. There was no reason that he decided to do that except for the fact that he wanted to show us what it was like to live a life obedient to the Father. In his life, he would say, he would say that his whole life was not about being served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' obedience to his heavenly Father, God, and our obedience to our heavenly Father is manifest through our service, through the way that we love, the way that we humble ourselves to a lost and broken world. And for Jesus, that ultimately ended not as, oh, and so you're going to be good, you're going to be healthy, you're going to be wealthy, you're going to be wise. His obedience got him crucified. He says, but the story didn't stop there. Therefore, God 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What God decided was that he could have done anything. And in fact, think about this. If he was going to die for a sacrifice for our sins, he could have done that any way. If there had to be death, if there had to be a blood sacrifice, if there had to be a payment for the sins that we couldn't pay, he could have just died. He could have just, you know, taken a, a sword to the chest. He couldn't have got a, you know, it's kind of weird to think about, a little bit sadistic, but like his throat, so I mean, just anything could have happened. But here's what God did. Now, this, this is crazy. God did everything to the extreme to show us what it meant to live a radical life for him. In fact, he could have died anyway, but he died the way that people will still say is the most painful way to die, which is to be crucified on a cross. And God said, okay, in case you're wondering if I love you, in case you're wondering if I want to serve you, in case you're wondering if I'm here for you, because I know if you're like me and I'm like you, then there's often times in our lives that we wonder if we are capable, if we're worthy of God's love, if God would even love us. And the answer is no, we're not capable. No, we're not worthy. But God still chooses to love us. And if ever there was a question that God loved you, served you, was giving his life for you, he chose the most painful way for that to ever happen. He said, I love you this much, regardless of what you've done. And so Paul says, therefore, if that's true, if that's true, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my presence, in other words, and I know it's easy to obey when all the Christians are around. I know it's easy to obey when the pastor's around. To not, not in my presence, but even more so in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, critical part here. What he's not saying, and many of you know this, what he's not saying is that your salvation depends on your works. He's saying, hey, if you have salvation, that ought to continue, that ought to continually manifest itself in your life. You ought to continually have good things. You ought to continually bear fruit. You ought to continually love people. That salvation, that salvific experience where you came to the realization that Jesus died on the cross for you, you gave your entire life to it. You said, God, if you'd be willing to do that for me, I'm going all in for you. All to manifest itself in your life. By the way, regardless of who around, regardless of the pastors there, regardless if you're at church, wherever you are, every moment is a holy moment. He says, so, continue to work that out with fear and trembling. And so, this is kind of how the nuts and bolts of it work out. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, when he starts to say this, this is where it just kind of really gets like, you know, there's a sermon, you're like, okay, that's compelling, that's neat, that's interesting. But this is the part where I'm like, ah, I wish he didn't say that. Because, you know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, I'm going to be more selfless. 
You know, I'm going to go help people. You know, in half of you, you know, you're going to see a dude that doesn't have any food on the side of the road, and you're going to give him a dollar, and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm like Jesus with skin, you know. You're going to feel so good about yourself, and I'm going to feel so good about myself, and we're going to go home and sleep, you know. You know, oh, man, I'm such a Christian now. Paul says, I mean, pause. You ought to be the type of person that does everything without complaining, does everything without grumbling. Now, this is easy in some areas of life. Let me just tell you, let me be honest. I thought I was a really selfless person. And then I got married. And those of you married folk in here, you know what I'm talking about. It's been a long day. You worked hard, she worked hard. And then somebody's got to cook dinner. And you just don't feel like cooking dinner. I thought I was a selfless person until I realized that somebody's got to do the laundry. Because when I'm single, we just don't do laundry. Anybody with me? You just buy new clothes, leave the same sheets on the bed for a semester, and then take them off and replace them with new ones. Super simple. Some of you thinking that's gross. I won't judge you if you don't judge me. I slept for a semester without any sheets. I had a down mattress. You know, why would you use sheets? you just sleep on the real thing. <laughs> a little too much information. <laughs> and it's a long day, and you cook dinner, and now you're just like, you know, 9.30 at night, which to you isn't late, but to me it's getting late, and you know. Sweetie, will you rub my feet? I'm like, what? <laughs> like, you got nice feet, but come on, you know. I'm not trying to get foot juice on my hands right before I go to bed. Not that there's foot juice around my house, but. Anyways, here's the point. Paul's saying, man, as Christians, as Christians, you shouldn't grumble. You shouldn't complain. And here's why. Here's how this makes sense. If your entire life is to serve other people, why would a servant complain when a servant's asked to serve? Because that's what they're there to do. If you're at work, let's say you, all right, let's say you work at Chick-fil-A. My pleasure, people, all right? Let's say you work at Chick-fil-A, and someone orders a number one extra value meal. Well, you know, this past, it was just the, uh, you know, February, it was free coffee, which I just love Chick-fil-A. Let me just tell you, Chick-fil-A is unbelievable. I went and I ordered a number one, you know, for breakfast, and, and got, I ordered a coffee with it. They took the coffee off the total cost of my breakfast. I'm like, you guys are stupid. You're just giving money away. Anyways, so let's say you're working at Chick-fil-A. Dude walks in, orders a number one, and you're not going to say, ugh. Well, one, you'll probably get fired if you do that. But two, that'd be silly because the entire reason you're there is to help people. You don't get mad when somebody orders food. You get happy because that means that they're going to be able to pay your bills because if nobody walks into Chick-fil-A and nobody ever orders any more chicken, then you know what? You're not going to have a job and you're going to go work somewhere else and you don't want to work a lot of the places that serve food. You don't get mad because that's what you're there for. You're there to serve. And so Paul would say, come on, come on, come on, come on. If you, if you, if you have been so dynamically impacted by your heavenly father, if you have been so 
dynamically impacted by the fact that God loves you, that God sent his son to die for you, that God, having nothing to gain, decided in your sinfulness, in my sinfulness, in my rebellion, I'm going to give my son to die for you so that you can have the forgiveness of sins and you can have eternal life. And by the way, you get a relationship with God. You get joy. You get peace. You get love. You get unconditional forgiveness, unconditional acceptance. And by the way, none of this you deserve. I've just given it to you. And that wells up inside of me so much that God demands and invites me to serve other people. And my life is now about serving. And if my life is about serving and I'm asked to serve, if I find an opportunity to serve and I don't serve and I grumble about it, Paul's like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Why would a servant grumble when they're asked to serve? Why would someone who's so selfless grumble when they're asked to be selfless? You ought to be the best employee at your stinking job because you do anything that anybody asks you to do and you don't complain one bit. You don't get mad, you don't gossip, you don't vent, you don't all this kind of stuff because you know what? Your life isn't about you. So Paul says, it's easy. Yeah, I mean, give a guy a dog on the side of the road, whatever. But in your everyday life, this ought to make a difference. And he continues on, he, he says this. By the way, this is what's going to happen. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. There ought to be a difference. There ought to be a difference because you're selfless. There ought to be a difference because you're others focused. There ought to be a difference because you love, because you serve regardless of who they are, regardless of what they believe. In fact, oftentimes, the more that they disagree, the more that they don't believe, the more they're unlike you, the more that you love and serve. And Paul said, that's what marks Christians. And that'll be different. That'll be different in your everyday life. That'll be different in your home. That'll be different in the way you relate to your wife. That'll be different in the way that you relate to your husband. That'll be different in the way that you relate to your roommates. That'll be different in the way that you relate to your employer. That'll be different in the way that you relate to your professor. That in a, in a, in a consumeristic, selfish world, you would be giving and selfless. In a world where everybody walks into the room and wants to think that they're cooler and they're better and present themselves as better and cooler and tougher and neater. And so you do everything that you can to present yourself in such a way. You try to be the best dressed little joker in this room. And when you walk in, you got your chest out. You know, guys, you got kind of your Goldbergs up, whatever it is. Girls, I don't know what you do. You know, you got your scrunchy tight or something, you know. Whatever it is that you do. But you're just stoked about you and you want everybody to notice you some you. And so you walk into the room saying, I'm stinking here. And you would be the one person in your classroom that walks in with the mindset that you're simply there to serve. Now, I didn't get this for about the first 25, 27 years of my life. But when God hit me with this, I realized that I am a selfish person. I realized that most of my life revolves around me. 
I realized that I walk into the room not to be served, or not to serve, but to be served. And God took me from a place, from a church, where we had tons of success. We had a youth group that was incredibly successful. We had a youth group, quite honestly, that was bigger than this church is right now. We had a youth group that was bigger than the church that we were at. Our youth worship at nighttime exceeded our, our, our daytime adult worship. God said, I want you to have a different place. Not that those places are bad. In fact, there's tons of great churches that do incredible things. But I want you to be a church. That missions, others' focusedness isn't a committee. It's the heart of the entire church. And not just for the people who look like you, not just for the people who act like you, not just for the people who make what you make and work where you work and school where you school, but for the people who are nothing like you, for the people who are marginalized, for the people who culture says is nothing, I want you to see them as everything. I want you, when you interact with the people on the street who have just, you know, just decimated their life, been decimated by pop, perhaps personal decisions that they've made, perhaps, you know, things that have happened to them in their life, whatever it is, they're on the streets, and everything in culture would say that they are less than. I want you to pastor a church of people who says, you are better than me. There is no one on this earth who I am going to see as better than myself because... Or that, that, that I am better than them because of the fact that every person that I ever lock eyes with is a person who my heavenly father died for. And I'm here to serve and love that person regardless of what it means to me. And that's the kind of church I want you to be. Let me ask this question as we're kind of landing the plane. How different would that be? How different would that be? How different of a faith community would that be? How different of a church would we be? And this isn't a let's go hold up a sign. This isn't a, I'm just going to go do something crazy. I'm going to haul off and do something wild. No, this is, this is every day. Maybe for you, Maybe for you, you're a grumbler and you're a complainer. And the thing that you need to really start to think about is that God's called me to be a selfless servant. And why would a servant complain when a servant's asked to serve? Because here's the reality. Jesus gave everything for us. Jesus did everything for us and modeled it all. And though I'm not perfect, I am by far not a pastor who has this all together. I'm by far not a person who has this all together. And if you, you've got a question about this, just feel free to ask my wife. We have conversations regularly that's been, you're not perfect. You're certainly not perfect at the laundry. You're certainly not perfect. We have dogs. That, I mean, they make a living out of shedding dog hair. And our wood floors just constantly need supervision. And I'm just not good at that supervision yet. But I'm, you know, I'm not a person who's perfect at serving my wife. I'm not a perfect person who's perfect at serving our community. I'm not a perfect person who's perfect at serving you. But let me just tell you, I am convinced that we serve a God who was perfect at serving us. And my life 
is going to be spent trying to be more like him. And that's displayed through our service to each other and to a lost and broken and hurting world. And the world's changed as a bunch of everyday people decide to do something very different than what they've seen, which is every room you walk into, you're there to serve from the overflow of the realization of God's love for you, from the obedience to your heavenly Father, you serve. So I don't know what it means for you. Something different if you're in the working world. Something different if you're in the you know student world. Something different if you're you know high school, college, you know undergrad, overgrad, whatever it is. But here's what I'm praying. I'm just praying that God makes us into a community of people who really get this, who really understand that we serve a Savior who served us so incredibly well. And everything we do is a response to him. And our obedience to him, our obedience to him is displayed, is manifest in our service to the world. So let's pray together.